This is The Guardian. Today, the shameful police strip search of a London schoolgirl. Just a quick warning before we start. This episode does contain some scenes that some listeners will find distressing. In East London this week, protesters have been rallying in support of the schoolgirl. She's known to the public just as Child Q. A 15-year-old black pupil at a school in Hackney wrongfully accused of carrying cannabis. That child was supposed to feel safe in a place where she spends most of her time outside of her own home and she didn't. She didn't feel safe. When teachers searched her belongings, they found no drugs. Yet police officers were called into the school. They strip-searched her. Child Q was on her period. She was left traumatised and her family say they no longer recognise her. More than a year later, a new report has found that police racism influenced how Child Q was treated. It is really disproportionate for an officer to strip search anyone, let alone a child, looking for cannabis. Chantal Lunt used to be a police officer. She's now an anti-racism activist. That search was not about fans and drugs in any way, shape or form. It was purely about humiliation. Following the public outcry, even the Prime Minister was forced to weigh in. Uh, because, uh, of course, the, re- the reports of this incident are deeply distressing and, and deeply uh, concerning. But the Metropolitan Police have rightly apologised and the IOPC is investigating. And for that reason, it would not be, re- not be right to comment further. Yesterday, it was announced that two of the Met Police officers involved have been removed from frontline duties. But public trust in policing is at a critical low. At a community meeting held online, Hackney residents worry that the problem with the police runs deeper than a few bad apples. You might say that this is one isolated incident where there's been um, a slip-up. What about all the cases where we've not been made aware of it going wrong? It's, it's horrific to me that this is happening. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, after the degrading strip search of a schoolgirl in East London, how will the police be held to account? Alexandra Topping, you're a senior news reporter for The Guardian focusing on gender and equality, and you've been reporting on the case of Child Q. What exactly happened to her? On Thursday, December the 3rd in 2020, a 15-year-old girl arrives at an inner London school and she's getting ready for a mock exam. But her teacher decides that she smells of cannabis. The girl, who's 15 and black, denies that there's any drugs on her, but teachers carry out a search anyway. So they search her blazer, her scarf, her bag, and they don't find any drugs, but they still think that they can smell something the teacher calls the Safer Schools police officer and they recommend that the school call 101 and ask for a female officer to attend the school. In fact, four Metropolitan Police officers turn up at the school. 
For one 15-year-old girl? For one 15-year-old girl. There is two men and two women. The girl is taken into a room on her own. Her mother is not informed at any point that this is happening to her. She's taken into a room by the two female officers. She tells them that she is on her period. She's told to remove her sanitary pad. She removes her clothes. She's told to spread her buttocks and cough so that she can be intimately searched to make sure there are no drugs on her. So the girl is subjected to this deeply intimate search. Nothing is found. She's told to put her clothes back on and go back to an exam. She's not even allowed to go to the toilet to change the sanitary pad that she's wearing. She just goes straight back into school and is expected to act as if nothing has happened. Even having read all the details of this case, just hearing you describe it, it's still beggar's belief. Lexi, how did this story first come to the public's attention? This child goes home and she's distraught. And she goes to her mum and she tells her mum what happened. And because of the level of her trauma, her mum takes her to the GP. And as a result, a safeguarding process is initiated. Bear in mind that this incident happened on the 3rd of December, 2020, and we're getting the review of it this year, 2022, on the 14th of March. And what did that review find? The panel who conducted the report was of the overwhelming opinion that this girl should not have been searched. It was unjustified and she'd been subjected to a traumatic incident and had quite clearly suffered real serious harm as a result of it. The other thing it found, and this is central to this case, was that racism had played a part. The review panel said that whether it was deliberate or not, it was likely to have been an influencing factor in the decision to undertake a strip search. Lexi, by any measure, this is a harrowing, humiliating thing for a child to go through. What have Child Q and all her family said about the incident? Well, Child Q mother, who is um, through the written statements obviously incandescent, has called on real consequences for the officers who were involved in this and real consequences to be taken against the school. She's called on the Independent Office for Police Conduct, the IOPC, to investigate, which is happening. But the the family's lawyers have gone further and accused Scotland Yard of institutional racism and sexism and called on the Home Secretary Priti Patel and London Mayor Sadiq Khan to appoint someone to replace Cresta Dick to tackle its culture. So this is having wider implications already. The reaction to the story was instant. It was shock, outrage, dismay, particularly after in the light of Black Lives Matter and the the shift in consciousness that's happened in society. And now people are calling for real consequences, both for the individuals involved in this particular scandal, but also to make sure that this can never happen again and that the, the fundamental problems of sexism and racism, which clearly exist within metropolitan police, are addressed. The solicitor, Child Q, has said, I want to thank the thousands of people across the world of all backgrounds who have offered me support, both publicly and through messages conveyed to my legal team 
following everything I've been through, I know I'm not alone. The solicitor also confirmed that Child Q is going to take legal action against the Met and the school. What has her uh, mother, or what have her legal team said about how she's been coping since this happened? I think one of the most distressing things about this case is just how profound the impact has been on this child. Her family say she's gone from being a happy-go-lucky girl to someone who is reclusive, who is profoundly damaged and sadly who is self-harming. Her mum talks about the fact that she won't come out of her room, that she wakes up screaming at night, that she locks herself in the bathroom, she's, that she doesn't want to come out and she doesn't want to engage. Her auntie has talked about someone who was getting good grades at school and was, you know, just like a normal 15-year-old and whose life has been really profoundly damaged by the incident. And her family now are looking for answers, but also to help her find a path to, to recovery. Well, Hackney Council's public response has been incredibly damning of the police and of the school, and they've called for an immediate review of policing guidelines. But what has the Metropolitan Police and the school itself said about this case? Scotland Yard have said... Um that the case was regrettable, it shouldn't have happened, and they've apologised. And there's an ongoing investigation by the IOPC into the conduct of the police officers. So after they received um, a formal complaint, the school launched an investigation into what had happened. The school obviously hasn't been named because they don't want to identify the teenager. In the report that they carried out, they said that the school had done the right thing when... um, it carried out the initial search of the girl's clothes and her possessions for cannabis. But it was the steps that they took after that that had an insufficient focus on her safeguarding needs. There seems to be a general sense within at least the staff of the school that staff feel unprepared and that they need to understand the law better. You know, we know that when the police arrived at the school, the child was taken into a room on her own and that wasn't challenged by the teachers. So one of the things that people say need to be learnt from this is some kind of empowerment of teachers so that they are, in the words of Child Q's mother, the representative of the parent in that school site. You know, she said, you wouldn't let this happen to your child. Why did you let it happen to mine? Chantal Lunt, you're a former police officer and an activist who's been part of demonstrations to protest against what happened to Child Q. When did you first hear about her story? So I heard about it on Tuesday night and one of my friends messaged me. Obviously, I read it, read up on the reports, looked online as you do. You get as much information as you can about what's happened. And I was just like horrified and I had... Probably the first sleepless night that I've had since George Floyd. Like, it's the only way I can, like, compare it is to compare it to what happened with George Floyd when it was playing around in my mind and it was just, I have to do something. It terrified me as a parent. Like, I sent my son, my son's 15, into school. I drove him to school that day. And when I was growing up, my mum told me to respect the police and do what the police tell me to do. But I tell my son sort of not the opposite, but don't be afraid to challenge the police. Know what your rights are because he's a black boy growing up in 2022. 
it's quite familiar to me. I mean, the, the fact that black mothers for a long time have like schooled their sons uh, and talked about what it's like to be a black boy and what to expect. But I've not really heard that same conversation being had with black daughters. Is that fair to say? Is that something that is is happening? I think it's a conversation that is definitely happening in every black household now with daughters. And I think there's generally this, we know that a violence is often enacted against our men by the police. It's often really visible in society. So our collective gaze as a black community has been on protecting our young boys from the police because that's where really where police violence is often enacted. But now this has really woken us up to, well, actually, are our girls safe? What are their interactions like with the police? Chantal, this is a story that I've talked about again and again with friends and family in the last week. And even as a journalist who has covered stories on institutional racism, on the Met, I'm still so shocked and so angered by the details of what happened to Child Q. What kinds of conversations have you been having? I've been speaking to friends and people from different spaces. I've got, you know, social workers, teachers, academics, a lot of different people. And everybody is just reeling from what has happened and everyone's like how can this happen a how could her parents not have been there but b even when you knew she was on a period why did you have to go that extra mile and make her remove her underwear and you know all of those details that we've all read and we know quite well now but and i think people are trying to contextualize this around the crime she was alleged to have committed which we know she did not commit having cannabis on it You attended a protest outside Stoke Newington Station in Hackney on Friday and you came down from Liverpool in solidarity. Who else was there? What was the response like? I wasn't sure what what the numbers would be like. I actually thought it would be a small community protest just coming along to stand and say, we stand with you. And the numbers, I, I mean, it's hard to... Basically, the... The whole road was taken with protesters. There were protesters everywhere, really strong numbers, really a strong black presence. The mood was, it was outrage, it was anger, it was upset, it was hit. 25 children were strip searched in Hackney schools last year alone. Only two were white, only two. Don't tell me about isolated incidents and bad apples. The reason the police were able to do that to that child is they had done it before. You could actually feel the hurt, you know, when people were speaking, like people, I've heard a lot of people speak in a lot of different spaces and I know when people are speaking to pain and it was a lot of speeches that were speaking to that collective pain that we were feeling. It was a long day, I think we were on the street for maybe four hours. We sat down. The whole school feels for that girl uh, in here for her. And one way or another, we're going to find a way to put them to the And then we really spoke to the children in the crowd and really uplifted them in terms of just loving themselves and understanding. We know this has happened to one of you, but as a community, we really love you and we want you to know that you are, you are worthy. It should never happen to you and we stand with you. Chantal, one of the reasons I was interested in speaking to you is because of your experience as not just an activist, but as a police officer and the perspective that you can give on a case like this. Can I ask, first of all, why did you decide to become a police officer? 
by the time I got into the force, I was like a more an older recruit. So I was 29, which for police recruits is quite old, um, although it is not old by anyone's standards. Um, and so I joined after having a bit of a career within the council and having a social care background working with young people. And I really thought that the the culture within policing would be similar to the culture within social care, which is very focused on helping and doing what you can to help people. Um, and so for me, quite early on walking in, I was like, oh, this is this is not the culture within policing. The culture within policing is we're the boss, we're the authority, and we're really going to, you know, impose that authority as violently as we need to onto people. Well, having worked as an officer, as you've said, with Merseyside Police, when you saw the details of what had happened to Child Q, a 15-year-old, as you said, in the middle of a mock exam, asked to go into this room, strip on her period. Did it seem to you that that followed any kind of regular police procedure? No, it didn't. It absolutely didn't. I mean, when doing a search, it does say you can't do, you can only really, um, take someone's like jacket, overcoat and gloves off if you're doing a search on the streets, a stop and search, anything more than that. It says to go back to the station or a private place. So technically the school can be a private place. So they, you know, they can do it in the school as long as it's out of view. But you have to have an adult present. And it's all about proportionality. This was not proportionate. What what were they looking for? Do you know what I mean? A recent Freedom of Information request to the Metropolitan Police has revealed that the force conducted around 9,000 strip searches on children in the last five years. Last year, when awareness around Black Lives Matter and institutional racism was arguably at its peak, in Hackney, where Child Q is from, still 60% of the children stripped searched were black. What does that say to you? Either they're not listening or they don't feel like they need to be held to account, but we only need to look at the, the leadership in this country to know that why would any officer in the Met think that they were going to be held to account? when we have policies that are enabling the racism. If we look at the police crime sentence in a court bill, one of the things that they were trying to bring through under that bill was the right to stop and search people without any suspicion or belief that they've done something wrong. Under this government, we've rolled out Section 60 stop and searches, which again are suspicionless stop and searches, which are carried out overwhelmingly in diverse areas. Yet the conviction rate for those stop and searches it's four percent. It's not about finding crime. It's not about solving crime. It's just about enacting power against the black community. Chantelle, I don't think it's an irony lost on listeners that you were a former police officer and you now actively campaign against police brutality and racism. What are the first steps that the police could take to convince you that they're taking these matters seriously? It's really hard because you know, they do have to change. They do have to do something. They do have to respond to criticism. But there are certain situations where we do need a really, you know, situations like gun violence, knife violence, where we do need the police to go in and deal with that. They have the equipment to deal with that. They have the resources to deal with that. But also they're not, at the same time, they're not mental health workers, they're not social workers, they're not clinical psychologists. And those areas are where the police are still often relied on and yet not being qualified. So while our services are being defunded, the ones you've mentioned, social um, social services, mental health services, young person services, are all having the funds and taken away from them. And what is happening to our young people and people in society is a symptom of that funds and being removed. So when we talk about defund the police, it's not actually defund the police. It's refund our communities, put that funding 
back into communities because when you see communities who have that grassroots understanding and I'm talking, I used to work in communities and the amount of situations that you can diffuse just with that knowledge of what's going on in a household, you know, that knowledge of mum's got postnatal depression, dad's just lost his job, this family's going through struggle, they need faces that they know to come out and support them. Police officers are centralised, they don't know the area, they don't know the community, they fly in and then they fly out. So the police need to acknowledge that they are not the best people for the job. They need to stay in their lane and give that power back to the communities. So, I mean, it's kind of arguable that prior to Black Lives Matter, we would never even have known that this happened to Child Q. But the Equalities Minister, Kemi Badenoch, has claimed that the response to the story shows we live in a country that cares about ethnic minorities. We mustn't forget that every day the police are saving the lives of young people all across this country. And she added that we mustn't forget the police are saving the lives of young people all across the country. They save the lives of young black children, brown, Asian, all communities. What do you make of that? Kemi Badenoch is one of those brown faces in high places used to gaslight the community. She's in the same category for me as Pretty Patel and Tony Sewell. Um, They look like us, but they do nothing to support us as a community. Yes, I'm sure within all of those statistics, the odd black person has um, a crime solved for them. I'm sure within those statistics, the police do help the odd black person, but overwhelmingly all of the statistics show that black people are more likely to be subjected to stop and search. Black people are more likely to have force used against them, even where it's not necessary to use force. Studies have been done which show that white officers perceive black people as a threat. Lexi, how normal or not is it to have officers attend schools in London to discipline, caution or even arrest schoolchildren? What does that relationship normally look like? Well, there are more than 650 police officers in British schools across the country. And Cressida Dick in the past have talked about these these officers known as safer schools officers as part of the DNA of schools. But two police forces are reviewing the role of officers in school after legal challenges over concerns that they disproportionately affect black and minority ethnic students. Child Q's mother has talked about something that should have been looked at as a safeguarding issue, which instantly became a criminalized, a criminal issue. And that the very fact of having police officers in schools, critics argue, leads to the adultification of black children particularly. What exactly is adultification? The idea of adultification is really simple. It's that young black kids just don't get treated as kids. They get treated as adults and they get treated as though that they are criminals within an adult system instead of vulnerable young children. Coming up, how can the Metropolitan Police restore the public's trust? Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, 
you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America into Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there every Friday. Lexi, Black Lives Matter as a movement really took off two years ago. Are you aware of any new strategies or work that was done by the Met or has been done by the Met to reflect on what was supposed to be this moment of reckoning with race in this country? Black Lives Matter was a huge moment here and it was a real moment for the police to reflect on institutional racism within its ranks. Now, obviously, this is not the first time we've talked about institutional racism in the Metropolitan Police. The 1999 McPherson report stated in black and white that the police were institutionally racist in this country. But despite that, Policing of Black Lives Matter events was controversial in itself. And since that moment, the Met doesn't seem to have moved a great deal on the issue. We have, however, had a consultation from City Hall. And Sadiq Khan, the mayor, has announced that an action plan to deal with the really poor levels of trust among black Londoners towards the Metropolitan Police. He said that the Met had made some progress since the McPherson report, but that racism still continued to exist. Now, the Met have made big leaps in in introducing better recruitment. So the Metropolitan Police does look more like the people it is there to serve than it did do at the time of, um, of the McPherson report. But he's called for reforms to make sure that there is a specific recruitment aim for black police officers so that 40% of new recruits are from a black or minoritized background. Lexi, we spoke to Chantal Nunn, who's a former police officer turned activist campaigning against racism, who expressed not just the hurt and the pain felt for Child Q, but who also talked about ways to galvanise and make a change, one of them being to redistribute funding from the police to community, mental health and social work services. This is not a minority opinion. A poll just last week showed that the majority of Londoners think that the Met Police is racist and sexist and half have little to no trust in the force. Now, the next commissioner of the Met clearly has a huge job on their hands to restore public faith in the force. You've reported on the Met. Do you have any sense of whether these issues are being seriously contended with? So there was hope when Cressida Dick became the first female commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. She was also the first gay person to be the the commissioner. But I think there was a real sense of disappointment in the years that followed because she just didn't seem to engage in the issue in any real way. She talked about bad apples. And in the most egregious case of that, we saw that she referenced Wayne Cousins, the killer of Sarah Everard, as a, as a wrong gun. I am absolutely horrified that this man used his position of trust to deceive and coerce Sarah. And I know you all are too. His actions were a gross betrayal of everything policing stands for. But I think under any kind of analysis, it was pretty obvious that issues around racism and misogyny really damaged Cressida Dick and irreparably damaged her relationship with the people that she was serving and ultimately was a, made, played a major part in the, her downfall. So the next commissioner will have a real job on their hands to actually engage in this issue. I'm not filled with hope 
unfortunately, because amongst the the riders and runners, there's only about two women. Um, there are people of colour, but there's no there's no sense yet, at least, that any of the people who are in the running for the job are going to stake the claim by promising proper reform from the grassroots up. That was Lexi Topping and Chantelle Lunt. My thanks to them both and to Toby Thomas, who covered the community meeting in Hackney. We reached out to the Met for this episode and in response, Commander Dr. Alison Haydari of the Met's Frontline Policing said, while we await the findings of the IOPC investigation, we have already taken action to ensure that our officers and staff have a refreshed understanding of the policy for conducting a more thorough search and advice around dealing with schools, ensuring that children are treated as children. The Met also told us it considers the finding that race was a factor in child cues treatment as very concerning. Before we go, if you are interested in US politics or you're a fan of Politics Weekly and have enjoyed listening to The Guardian's Jonathan Frieden there, you'll want to subscribe to his new podcast. It's called Politics Weekly America and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Mythley Rao and Phil Maynard. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.